0: Hi everybody, my name is Kyla, welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Welcome back to my corner, me and my shadow. This lighting is something I'm going to be talking about the market today. This is going to be an update on what happened in the market this week. There's a lot of stuff that happened. I'm going to dive right into all that, including the CPI metric, which is always so exciting to get a read on. So what happened this week in the stock market? The stock market was going through this week. It was feeling it. It was going up and down and all around. Toki pokey. Today, of course, the CPI came in, the CPI came in pretty high. It came in right around consensus levels, which means that things aren't but do note, it is especially spicy out there right now. Supply chains are still whack and companies are just like, hey, you know, I'm going to pass this cost off to my customers because I think they can handle it. People were like, oh, this is the highest inflation since 1982. I was lucky enough to get invited on Bloomberg Quick Take. What is the mood music? I see that you check in with your viewers, your followers often, especially on Instagram. What's the vibe (laughs) and how do you explain what we're seeing to them? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's to me, when I saw this on the timeline, oh, like inflation is the highest that it's been, and of course it is. Like we just had a global pandemic. Supply chains are fundamentally broken. Um, you know, there's a very strong economy with very strong consumer demand, and people are feeling very spendy right now. They want to spend money. Um, the housing market, everybody wants a house, and they're, because of supply chain shortages, it's hard to build homes. And then, uh, so prices are just being pushed up across the board. Then we also have the labor wage shortage. Um, so you saw that in the jobs report. Like people are not able to hire people. And so all of that stuff is going, to come into this big pot of inflation and then push prices up. Um, So for them and what I tell my audience, I'm just like, yeah, this makes sense that this is happening. And now we're starting to see some of the metrics begin to abate, begin to ease, um, but the fed, you know, they'll have their policy decision. Next- of course it is. Of course it is. We are literally in the midst of the most unprecedented of the unprecedented times. And if you look down at this breakdown that Bloomberg did, so you can see that most of it's coming from goods, just high energy was driving a lot of this. I'm going to get into sort of all the different things that were driving it, but if you get into the data, yeah, it was high and it has a reason to be high. <laughs> yeah, man. Things are rough out there. Inflation's gonna be high. Anyway, CPI rose by 0.8 percent in this past month, which pushed us to an annual inflation rate of 6.8 percent. Came in a little bit hotter than expected. People were expecting 0.7 percent month over month. However, came in 0.8 percent, so not that hot. Came in hot, but could have been hotter. And because it wasn't 7 percent, the market was like, heck yeah, this is the kind of inflation I like. Core inflation, which is a CPI excluding food and energy, that rose 0.5 percent month over month and 4.9 percent over the past 12 months, both of those metrics came in at consensus. So no big surprises there. Food rose 6.4% from a year ago, the most since December, 2008. As you can see in this graph, food at home has actually increased more than food away from home, which is interesting. Food increases at the grocery store are a little bit higher than food increases at restaurants, which isn't good just in terms of feasibility and access for consumers. Energy prices were up three and a half percent gasoline prices were up 6.1%. Energy has been driving a lot of the changes in the CPI over the past several months. But the prices have abated since then. And that's mostly because as we talked about on the channel, oil markets are covering doing whatever they do. Biden tapped into the strategic petroleum reserve OPEC plus has almost agreed, agreed to increase production. So we are seeing a little bit of abatement and energy costs prices for used cars and trucks have increased two and a half percent. Used cars are driving a ton of the movement in the CPI but that will likely abate over time just due to simple laws of supply and demand. People being like, all right, I'll wait to get a car. <laughs> and you can see this in this graph contribution to monthly core CPI inflation, new and used motor vehicles were very, very a lot during the beginning of 2021, but have decreased substantially since then shelter inflation, which is rent. That's going to be a, a really important one to watch that rose 0.5, percent from October and 3.84% year over year up from 3.38% in October. This is the highest since 2007, nothing bad happened in 2007 to note. This is a very important metric because it not only is rent, which is literally what everybody needs. Food and rent is two of the most important things in the economy. Here, shelter makes up 30% of the overall CPI and 40% of the core CPI print. And with the housing market right now, it's absolutely exploding. Just like, oh my God, everybody and their mom literally wants a house. That's going to put upward pressure on the housing market. We're going to see that reflected in rents as people are like, okay, back to the apartment living, we go. Also, as landlords are like, hey, pandemic pricing, see you later. But we're going to see a lot of pressure in the housing market over the coming months, and this metric will reflect that. And I think it's also important to say that inflation will likely get worse before it gets better. We saw a broad based increase and most prices and the ones that consumers are most worried about are are reflected in this, right? So food gas homes. It's really painful to have prices increase while your wages remain stagnant. Like you can't go to your employer and be like, give me a 6.8% raise. It just doesn't work that way. Seeing these price increases across the board. It's not like, oh, I can just hold off on gasoline. It's like, no, literally everything has gone up in price. That's really tough from a consumer perspective. It's really tough from a containment perspective because it's not driven by any one component. And as you can see in the chart below the subcomponents that make up 75% of the CPI are all increasing at an annualized rate of more than 2%. Everything is increasing. <laughs> <laughs> ha everything. You thought you're safe? No. <laughs> No. However, to kind of make this better, a lot of people think that inflation will stop accelerating so that it has essentially reached its peak and it will stop seeing it accelerate from here. It's going to not be increasing at an increasing rate anymore, but kind of calm down a little bit. It'll still increase, but not as fast. That would be good if we see a little bit of abatement in terms of how fast it's increasing. Remember that we do live in unprecedented times. I know it sucks. I know it sucks, but within this current dynamic, it makes sense that inflation is high because we have the perfect storm, right? We have literally the perfect storm for inflation inflation to be high. We have broken supply chains. We have labor wage shortages, and we have consumers that are feeling extra spendy. So if you say, all right, supply chain. So making the products and then you say, all right, labor, people, wages, selling the products. And then you say consumers uh, buying the products. That's literally every single step of the consumer life cycle is making the product, selling the product, buying the product. And if you're going to have price increases or high demand at every single point, yes, prices are going to increase. This is like gravity almost like it's like a log nature unless there's price controls in place like you're strapped to the ground essentially um what i guess gravity would still impact you because that's a natural force but listen we're talking about supernatural. this is a ghost i don't know this is to be expected and it will likely normalize over time as consumer demand normalizes over time as hopefully the labor market recovers as hopefully supply chains recover we might even see deflation because supply chains are going to be like like overproduction. Wages are going to rise because people are like, all right, we'll pay you whatever we need. We just need you to be working here. Joe and Tracy did an excellent podcast on the school bus driver shortage. Like people can't get to school. Like it's just, of course things are going to be expensive right now. And then the big big question becomes, well, what's the Fed going to do about it? So the Fed really only cares about the PCE metrics, so the personal consumption expenditure metric. However, because CPI technically came in at the consensus level of 6.8%, that could provide a larger window of time for the Fed to make these decisions so they do have the fomc meeting next week but because inflation didn't come in that hot it came in just kind of hot like we kind of knew it would be as hot as it was that gives them a little bit more time to get them to get themselves figured out and here the consensus drives the narrative because things came in at consensus levels there could be hope in the market that the fed doesn't try to come out swinging right away with high rates they're not like oh my gosh here's all the rates ever increasing for you right now that we would experience a slower (laughs) slower tightening process however despite that and to kind of clarify what I mean, we are going to probably experience monetary policy tightening over the next few months. The FOMC, they have their dual mandate of maximum employment and price stability. So they've seen the inflation metrics, they've seen the labor market and they're like, all right, time for us to step in with this hot CPI, with the booming jobs report, 11 million open jobs yesterday. The Fed is thinking about that. The Fed is going to weigh that in to kind of, you know, expand upon what it means for the Fed to do tightening monetary policy. They taper and they tighten. That's really what the Fed does. The two T the double T's. <laughs> when they taper, slow down in the buying of assets. So right now they're slowing down their purchases by 15 billion a month. They could expedite that to 30 billion a month, but that's going to roll off by March. So we already know the Fed's going to taper. They're going to pull out. They're going to stop buying stuff. Tightening. So raising rates. This is a whole different story because this is really what impacts the consumer at the end of the day. This is the one to watch out for. Will we get three rate hikes in 2022? Will we get four in 2023? How angry will this make the markets? Does the market? Can the market even stomach higher? rates at this point and so if you think about higher rates that's essentially going to say to consumers hey don't take out loans chill out stop spending so much money same thing to businesses hey everybody chill out stop spending so much money okay stop it and that's essentially what higher rates mean and so the fed is going to have to incorporate that framework how much do we want things to slow down and if we do just one rate hike is that going to have the same impact as we think it will, or will it send the market into an absolute tizzy? And so that's what the fed has to think about with regards to tightening and tightening monetary policy. And then I think this is kind of random, (laughs) but you know, when you think about core CPI, what the fed's looking at, we always think about the stock market, but the stock market is not the economy, the stock market and economy, not the same thing. When considering the stock market from a really high level, you have indices, right? So you have the NASDAQ, you have S and P and you have the Dow Jones. So Dow Jones is like 30, pretty much like old companies. And then S and P 500 is the 500 top companies. And then the NASDAQ is all the tech stocks. Gavin Baker did a really good analysis around NASDAQ and broke out the top performers here. So it's Apple, Microsoft, Google, Tesla, and NVIDIA, NVIDIA, sorry. And those are the top five return contributors to the NASDAQ. If you exclude them from the NASDAQ, um, the NASDAQ has only outperformed, it's still good, but 5.79% this year. With those five stocks included, it's 21%. Five stocks are driving. 70 to 75% of the total return of this index, which is nuts. Like, that's crazy. That's a lot that's coming from those stocks. And so when you think about the CPI, the same sort of weighting shows up here too, where the CPI is going to be outsized influenced by some stuff versus others. And then also when we look at the stock market at the end of the day, not, it doesn't mean that just because co- uh, indices are doing well, the stock market's doing well, because <laughs> you'll have five stocks like Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Tesla, and NVIDIA that are doing super good and sort of dragging everybody else in the barrel behind them. I talked about this a. Uh, very in-depth on the channel this week so I'm not going to go super in-depth into it but of course Evergrande whatever the heck is going on with Evergrande did a very long video on it but just kind of you know hit on it again it's really like watching a slow moving train crash everybody's like we know this thing is gonna you know eventually collapse it it has to 300 billion dollars in liabilities it's the question of how it's going to collapse how are those You know, cookie's gonna crumble, especially in Beijing's regulatory framework. It's a domino pile essentially. And now they're just kind of like, well, can we stack it a little bit more? Tracy Alloy wrote, of course, an excellent piece on it. The forest of China's financial system may be burning bright in certain areas, but it's still tough to see all the trees. Things are okay, but you do have these outsized worries that are showing up in the market with Evergrande. It's really a balancing act and it's a tight rope and that's what China's walking. And if they make a policy mistake, that could be super bad because they're trying to use Evergrande as example. Don't take out a bunch of debt, but also protect their system from contagion. And of course, like the FOMC and this doing with inflation and jobs, it is a balancing act. It is a balancing act. Ben and I spent a lot of, a lot of time on Russia this week, so I'm not even going to really hit on that, but Russia, just to kind of highlight again, Russia is a very, very big part of the energy market. This is from Javier, this graph, this goes without being said, but the consequences of them fully invading Ukraine would be an absolute shockwave across the world. Not only from Ukraine got invaded perspective, but also from an energy market perspective, the inflation that we're experiencing now, it would be a little bit different. Yeah. Go and watch that video with Ben. We we dive really deep into all that stuff. So crypto regulation, six crypto CEOs testified in front of the house on Wednesday of this week. What could Mongoose coin do to crypto coin? basically it was like, Hey, we just need fair regulation without you, you know, cutting us off at the kneecaps and Congress can't really decide if they like crypto or not. They're kind of torn. They're like, Oh, is it bad for the environment? Oh, is it safe? Oh, is it private? What does it mean for money laundering? Like all these, you know, questions that people have about a, a thing that's been around since 2009. <laughs> there was also an interesting piece from politico on it where bank lobbyists, the bank lobbyists were like, well, we want crypto to be regulated the same way that we are. And if crypto is regulated the same way as a bank, that could be tough, especially if they're not Able to provide that same sort of diligence, and they're not meant to, like, they're not a bank, right? So, it's just going to be interesting to see how bank lobbying works versus how they should be regulated. One good thing about the banks lobbying for equal regulation is that the banks <laughs> kind of recognize crypto as something that should be regulated. A lot of banks are entering into the crypto space, and brands are entering into the crypto space. A very cringe, <laughs> I hate saying that word, but very cringe what the brands are doing with entering into the space because you do see like white. House, or I keep on saying that, White Castle, but White Castle official. But anyway, so it could be good and bad, but it could also be misapplied regulation like we see in tax code section 60501. <laughs> regulation is wild. However, it seems like the House meeting did go well. Jake, who has obviously an incredible job reporting on this, came out and was like, I feel good about it. So if he feels good about it, I feel good about it. <laughs> things are of course intense and they're ever moving, but things do seem to be moving in the right direction. And so what is the economy? So I kind of hit on this a little bit earlier, but the summary of economic projections will be released next week, which will detail how the fed is thinking Goldman Sachs has laid out a very, very bullish case for how they're thinking about this. And basically they're like the S and P will hit 5,100. There will be three rate hikes in a full taper, which is essentially equivalent to two rate hikes. and everything will be perfect but you can't really have both like you can not have the S&P probably maybe continue to grow up in in a high rate environment probably like when they first raise rates like the market is going to be feeling not great about that it's going to need to digest it so I think it's a little bit of a catch-22 but they seem to be very optimistic this is also something I've been thinking about a lot you know what is the ceiling on the stock market are there sort of times where the market needs to normalize where it needs to take some time to not grow like with companies are always growing though. So, but is money always flowing in. And so it gets a little bit like the physics of it are a little weird. And obviously people have sub- studied this in depth and I'm not saying anything new. What is growth? <laughs> if you just ask yourself, what is growth? It's all growth good. And we see this in venture, like venture companies are essentially valued at what they would be at IPO at this point. <laughs> uh, pre-seed companies are essentially valued at way more than they'd probably be at IPO. Same with all the other series and stuff. The market's just hot. The market is hungry and the market is hot. And it's kind of like, well, can people meet those productions? Does it matter? Do you think Trade against fundamentals. I don't know. <laughs> you know, whenever I feel a little overwhelmed, I remember Voltaire and he said, doubt is not a pleasant condition, but certainty is absurd. We don't have to know everything. This is something I really struggle with, especially as a content creator who wants to be right all the time. Not because I want to be right, because I want to like provide helpful information. And if I'm wrong, I'm like, oh, man, I missed something. You can't know everything all the time and you just got to keep on learning. You got to have fluid frameworks. You've got to be able to test your own biases and challenge your own assumptions there is no such thing as certainty the search for certainty is infinite that's what we do every single day that's what the market does every single day and it's okay to not know exactly what's going to happen i don't think everybody knows exactly what the future is going to look like everything's a trial what's happening in china right with Evergrande, they're just trying to figure out what the best thing could be what's happening with the fed we've never had a pandemic before we've never had this sort of market run before and and i think it's sort of funny because we as evolutionary animals right like we we sort of like build out all these different scenarios in our head we're like okay it could end up like this it could end up like that it could end up like that and we do that from the hunter-gatherer perspective we're constantly building out different frameworks it's just interesting you know you have to have a fluid framework thanks so much for hanging out with me thanks so much for spending time with me uh cpi crypto regulation evergrande russia all of it i'll be back uh next week and i will see you all soon.